And we'll read, you just be patient, we'll read the, all of chapter 4. We get to read the whole rest of the story and we'll uh, address some things that I think are beautiful examples of, of God's grace in this book. And we'll look at five examples of it. Uh, we'll look at three of them tonight, all right? So the plan is we're going to see how they lived happily ever after by grace. And in particular, you see five beautiful examples of God's grace as the book is winding down. And we'll look at three of those examples tonight. Here we go. Ruth chapter 3. Ruth has had basically went to Boaz and said, I'm a widow and um, I'm requesting you to, to, to redeem me. And that was all legal and proper. And he said, well, I, I'll, I would love to do that, but somebody's got a, a, a spot in front of me, so I need to go take care of some business. So notice what happens when she comes home. She talks to her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law says this, chapter 3, verse 18. Then said she, sit still, my daughter, until thou now know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside and sit down, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi that is come out of the country of Moab selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kylian's and Mahlon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Mahlon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his, play, of, of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed of the Lord, of, which, of the seed which the Lord sh uh, shall give thee of, of this woman, young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, 
which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Phares. Phares begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashan, and Nashan begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Happily ever after. You ever see movies like that? And they lived happily ever after, you know. And that's what happens. And that's what happens in this. They lived happily ever after. The difference is, in this, this is a real story, whereas we watch movies that are sometimes just movies. There might be some true movies that are happily ever after. But this is real, and they did live happily ever after. But it's by God's grace this all happened. It wasn't of all their contriving and all of their you know, plotting. It was like God coordinated all this story. You know, the story again of a... Uh, well, let's just look at a couple things. It began with a loss, right? Uh, Naomi uh, goes with her, with her husband and her sons. They go down. I'll show you the pictures. They go down into Moab. They leave Bethlehem. They go into a foreign land. And they sojourn there or they live there. And the sons marry Moabites. They shouldn't have done that biblically. They marry Moabites. And the two sons, uh, or the, the, the dad dies, Elimelech, he dies. And then her uh, Naomi's uh, daughter-in-laws are become widows too because Naomi's sons die. And uh, so now Naomi's a widow. Now she has daughter-in-law widows and they're together. And, and, um, and so she's like, I gotta, I'm just going to go back home. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And I heard that the Lord has visited our people and giving them bread again. And so I'm going to go back. And there was this kind of this emotional time of the, the girls wanting to go. And then she says, no, don't go with me, girls. There's nothing there for you. And so uh, one of them turned back, Orpah, like, all right, I'll turn back. She went back to her people and to her gods, it says. It's what, exactly what it says. And Ruth says, no, I, it's, <clears throat> this is beyond a human relationship here. I, I, I want to be with you. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And thy people will be my people. And thy God will be my God. And so she embraced the true and living God and had her first partner in that, her mother-in-law. She followed her to back to Bethlehem. And so you have a, a Hebrew-Israeli widow and a, a Moabitess widow who's a proselyte now, who's converted to God, coming in, a new convert coming into Israel. They come back to Israel, they go back into Bethlehem, and people know Naomi and Bethlehem. They said, this, is this the pleasant one? Is this pleasant? Mrs. Pleasant? Naomi means pleasant in Hebrew. And she says, call me not pleasant, call me Mara, call me bitter. For the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And uh, he just, you know, I, I, I got the raw end of the deal. I don't know exactly all the details of what she's saying. She's basically saying, God is giving me all this bitterness in my life. So don't call me sweet. I'm bitter. Don't call me pleasant. I'm not happy. She made a note. She's bitter. And um, it was very clear there in at the end of chapter 1. I went out full. When I left Bethlehem, I came back I'm empty. He afflicted me. The Almighty afflicted me, she says. And they're like, okay, okay then, all right. So meanwhile, Naomi settles in her home, of course, with, with, uh, with, 
with uh, Ruth, and, and uh, Ruth has some initiative and says, let me go glean in the fields and do what the poor people do. They have to work an honest living to still get something, and so they do. And so Ruth like, goes out, and she finds a field and starts gleaning in it and gets, gets permission to, and she doesn't know who owns this field, that it happens to be a relative of her mother-in-law who would be a, the next eligible bachelor. She doesn't know that, but she says, I'm going to go about business and do what's right. So she gets out doing right, gleaning and working hard. And, and uh, the owner of the field, uh, Boaz, comes one day and he's checking things out. Hey, guys, greeting his workers and stuff and everything. And who's this, uh, who's this uh, lady over here? And they said, it's the Moabitess, Ruth, Ruth the Moabitess that came back with Naomi. Ah, oh, I heard about her. He already heard about her and her virtue and her uh, scenario and that she chose to lodge under the wings of the God of Israel. And he already knew about that. And so he's like, hey, stay here. Stay here in this field. And, and when it's time to go get something to, to eat, come, and come, into the, come have lunch with us is basically what he said. And that's what she did. She came in the midday break and had lunch with them and um, went back out to work. And he told the guys, the fellow workers, after the second half of the day, make sure she can ha- pick up a little extra sheaves. Drop some of the sheaves on purpose. You see, again, to remind you quickly, when you own a field, uh, you plant all that stuff. Um, all of it is yours that you plant, except the tithe is the Lord's. But also, there's another portion that isn't yours. That's the corner. Say if you have a square field, you just do a circle harvest. The corners become belong to the poor. That's how God, that was God's welfare program. That the poor need to get out there. If they want food, grab it. Leave the corners for the poor. And while you're gathering, if you drop anything, ah, ah, you can't pick it up. That's the poor's too. So it made them like, I don't have to drop anything, you know. But if they did, they had to leave it. So Boaz says, hey, when they're out there working, uh, let some fall on purpose for her so she can gather them. And so that first day of work, she meets this guy. She doesn't even really know who he is. He's already shown graciousness to her. And uh, she comes home with a little extra, you know, quite a bit. I don't remember the exact five gallons of beaten grain, I think we said it was, which is a lot, apparently. And she came home, and the mother-in-law said, how'd you do all this? And she's like, oh, this guy, Elimelech, and, you know, he's just kind of nice to me. What? He's near of kin, you know, and she's all excited about it. And kind of mother-in-law's sweetness is probably starting to come back a little bit. And uh, she says, it's good, my daughter. It's good. Keep, keep at it. You know, just keep going on that field and, and uh, don't go to another one. And he's a near of kin. And so she worked through the end of the season. And, and again, you, you see uh, her, um, this story developing a love story. And it's a story of God's grace and a story of God mending somebody who was in pain, mending somebody who's bereaved. And bring, it's like, you know, God took away for whatever, whether you think, whether she, Naomi thought she, didn't deserve to be widowed or did deserve to be widowed. We don't know what was in her mind. But God took away, in that sense, her sons and that husband comes back. She's not yippy-skippy, okay? She's hurting. And, uh, but her daughter-in-law, who's seeking the Lord, already begins to see God put his fingers and his hand on their life, both of their lives. Because this is a dual benefit here of Ruth meeting this Boaz. Because Boaz would help recover the whole family financially and give them a name and descendants again back in Israel. Do you see, Naomi had no boys now. There's no name to go on. But now there's hope. And so she's excited about it. And so 
you know, the, the story goes about um, uh, she, we mentioned in chapter 3 that she, she went and she, uh, at the end of the, the grain season or the harvest season, she went to meet uh, Boaz, that is Ruth, went to meet Boaz. She was told by her mother-in-law how to go approach him, let him eat, let him have his time and digest his food. And when he's laying down there by his grain pile, go over there. And there's, a, there's a, you know, kind of a custom, uncover his feet. And, and lay right by his feet. It's it's a it was a it was a custom of a servant doing that. It's like here I'm I'm submitting to you to be a servant to you, and, the, and it was also saying, um, you know, I I'm going to come under your care. And that's what she did. And the thing is, it was at midnight. I mean, this guy there's no night lights. Apparently, the moon wasn't out. Uh, didn't seem like it. Because he's like, who is this? He wakes up, you know, like, who is at my feet here? It's a woman here. Okay. And so she said, I'm Ruth. And she says, uh, basically, I'm, take me to be your, your wife. You know, I'm a widow, and I'm asking you to redeem me. Redeem. He knew the whole thing. He knew the whole process. And that's when he answers her, uh, I would love to, but I'm going to wait until I find out what this other next of kin, kinsman who's closer than I says. And so again, this story begins with a loss, and we're going to keep pick it up. But it ends with God's. It ends with grace, eh, not working. So let's give us a, a click here, uh, Iden. Ending with grace. This will be. This is kind of our last picture. We'll look at it today and tomorrow. Kind of is the, the key thought. Uh, it begins with loss, ends with grace. We're going to see here in the story that um, they lived happily ever after. Uh, by God's grace. There's, there's five examples here where you see kind of as the story's ending is like, oh, that was good, that was good, that was good, that was good. And I'll tell you the points and we'll look at three of them today. First, we're going to recognize again the grace of Boaz and the grace of a Boaz. Jesus is our Boaz. We're going to notice the grace of Boaz. We're going to notice the grace of having a blessing on one's marriage. We're going to notice the grace of having a blessing on one's marriage. Number three, we're going to notice the grace of becoming a parent. All right? That's a, that is a grace uh, from God. Number four, next week we'll look at the grace of becoming a grandparent. Did you know that was the reviving little, that was a reviving thing for Naomi, is becoming a grandma. And uh, so much so she made herself almost a mom again, so her neighbors thought. And then the grace of beginning anew by faith. That's an interesting point, that God lets people start new again by faith. It doesn't matter what your family history is or your last name, if it was good or bad. You can start again by faith. You can start new again by faith. You see that in this family line here, you have, this is not the most beautiful, you know, you know, these, these families that were listed at the end. Some of these are converts from you know, foreigners. But they decided to have faith and come under God's care and it changed their family tree. That's beautiful. And so let's look at these first three points. Number one, Boaz. The grace we see in a Boaz. All right, so consider this again. What happened? We looked at this probably a few weeks ago. Um, He goes and does business on behalf of Ruth. So again, the night she was at the grain pile, and he says, listen, I got to go. I got to go check with this other, this other kinsman, and I got to see if he's going to um, 
take this spot. And if he can't, I will. I will. And so he goes the next day. She goes home. And what does her mother-in-law tell her? When she goes home and tell her mother, Ruth tells the whole story, and her mother-in-law says what? Just sit still. Go ahead. Wait. Yeah, just wait, because he's going he's gonna to take care of this for you. So the idea is like he goes, she can't do anything to get redeemed in a sense. She just asked. She's just asking for it. That's all she can do. Um, and so what happens? The Boaz, Boaz, goes and does all the work. He meets a guy who can't do it. The guy's like, well, I want, I want the land. Oh, I can't take that girl. Ah, I'm going to mess everything up. I can't, I can't do it myself. I can't. You do it. That's just like the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Boaz. You, it, basically, all we do is we say, Jesus, save me. I'm asking you to save me. I call upon the name of the Lord. In, in, in the sense, he's already done the work. And he, Jesus has gone up through the gate, outside the gate, outside of Jerusalem, at Calvary, and done the work for us. And we're just asking, redeem me, Jesus. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's our Boaz that's done all the work. We're not going, we have to sit still. Jesus is going to save me. You just think, oh, you just, you just think you just, you just do nothing and you get to be saved? Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly what I think. It's not just what I think, it's what Paul thinks. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted, its faith was counted, forgot the last word, basically for salvation. That's what Paul said. Paul said, <laughs> it's like, you be, I'm the sorry bum, and all I do is believe that Jesus is going to save me because I trusted him. Absolutely. And I just sit still, and my Boaz does all the work. And by the way, Jesus is, there's no other redeemer that can do it. There's no other, there's no other, remember how Boaz met another guy who could have been the kinsman? He's like, I can't, I can't. That's exactly how it is for us. There's no other, look at, go ahead, I'm thinking about, I don't know about Christianity. Go ahead and check all the other ones out. There's nobody else that has, that can redeem us. There's every, I mean, the, so many other religions, there's, there's holes in them, you know, and they fail. It's God's grace through Jesus Christ is, is, is the only salvation. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we see the grace of our Boaz doing the work for us. We just sit still. That's it. The grace of Boaz. And then the grace in, in blessing one's marriage. So look at this. So here we go. Chapter 4. Uh, so verse 11. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. And we'll stop right there. Remember, so Boaz goes up to the guy and he talks to the guy. And the guy's like, I can't do this. I heard you. I can't do it. Go ahead. Here you go. Here. Take her. You know, here's the notary. And he walks off. He's like, hey, see, you're witnesses. So he gets the shoe thing, which means we just did official business, and what was just said is official. I'm going to walk around home. I'm going to walk. He's going to walk home, and his wife's going to be like, why don't you have another shoe? Do you do another business deal? You know, I don't know. But he's just going to, uh, he's going to have to go home without a shoe, and, and Boaz is going to have his leather uh, official document here. And so, so anyways, he goes, and, he, and, he, and he, he has the shoe, and the 10 elders were there, and then apparently a bunch of other people. He's like, y'all heard that, right? You're all the witnesses. And they answer back. What do they say? We are witnesses. But that's not the only thing they say. 
They know a marriage is about to happen. They know a wedding is about to take place. Now, apparently, there wasn't much to this ceremony. It may have just been like that day. I don't know. But all the proper things have been done. There was a proper legal thing that was done. He got the clear legally. And now he's getting something that's a blessing from people. Look, it said, look what it says. They all, all the people and the elders said, we are witnesses. And then they add, the Lord make the woman. So now they're adding this blessing. The Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephratah, and be thou famous in Bethlehem. Let the house be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed of which the Lord shall give thee of this woman. They're saying, hey, may God bless your marriage and start having a lot of kids. You know, and I, I think they only had, apparently only just a little Obed, but that's enough. Keep it going. There, but what's happening? You have a group of people that say, God bless you on this marriage. God bless you. You know, it's, a, it's good to have the blessing, a blessing on your marriage. If you go to get married, to get advice, but also to say, can you bless this, this uh, idea here? <laughs> this person that I'm engaged, or I want to be engaged to. You want to, get, you want to get blessings. The ideal thing is to have your parents' blessings. And I think parents in here, you kids that have parents in here, I think your parents are level-headed enough to know if that should be a green light or a red light. You want to get parental blessings. And I know there's cases when it's, there's some cases when maybe the parent's not minded properly or whatever. And, but either way, if you are thinking of getting married one day, try to seek counsel and can I get a blessing from somebody? Can somebody else look on this and say, yeah, we give you your blessing. If you can't get an honest blessing from an honest person with a clear-headed mind, you might be running the wrong way. But if you, if you know some decent people with a biblical mind, I say, you know what, I can give you a blessing on that. Then that's good. That's like a Bible thing. Here you have the people are already giving a blessing to this marriage. They anticipate birth. They anticipate um, God's hand on it. And that's what they say. The Lord bless you. I don't know if Rachel, I don't know if Ruth heard all that. Because, I mean, they're saying, hey, like Rachel and Leah, do you remember how many kids came there? That's a lot of kids. I don't know if Ruth heard that and be like, are you kidding me? I don't know if I'm ready for But whatever, we know they at least had one. Well, let's go to the third and last point that we'll have, at least for tonight, is there's grace in becoming a parent. Look what happens. So they give their blessing, and look what happened. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. So what is that? They become parents. But notice some of the things that are said regarding this around their parenting about becoming a parent. First of all, you notice that, let's just be real honest, there's matrimony, then there's intimacy. First there's matrimony, then there's intimacy. First there's the clear on being married. He took Ruth. She was his wife. You know, they, there probably wasn't much to this thing. If there was a big wedding, apparently it didn't matter to me. But it was probably pretty simple. But he had the legal clearing. He had the blessing of people. And he takes her. Maybe they had a small ceremony. And she was his wife. And then they, she conceives. There's matrimony. Then there's intimacy. There's, uh, first you get permission to have someone before you have someone. First you, have, first you get... Uh, uh, he, took, he took, he became, a, she became his wife, then he went in unto her, the scripture says. Before you want to, before you become a parent, 
You want to make sure you become a spouse. I know it doesn't always happen all the time, but you want to become a spouse, then you become a parent. Um, don't take something until it belongs to you. Um, somebody's like, well, I just, you know, I've heard kids say, I don't like kids. I've heard boys say this. I don't like kids. I don't like kids, man. Then don't like girls. If you're a boy and you don't like kids, don't like girls then. But the girls aren't kids. I know, but that's what comes out of them. You know. Yeah, but you can do stuff. Yeah, you can try. You don't like kids, don't like girls, man, because that's the natural process. You know, that's what I'm saying. You get married, then you have kids. That's what, that's what happened here. It, it, but they have, so notice here. Okay, so the grace of becoming a parent. Look what the language says now as we move along here. All right, went in under the Lord. Whoa, wait a second. Verse 13, he went in under her. The Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. The Lord gave her conception. Hey, let's think about that phrase right there. Let's just think about that. What did the Lord give? He gave her conception. That is, you know, the process, the thing was done, but yeah, God has to cause the conception to take place. You know, you can plant the seed. We can plant the seed, right, in the soil. But God has to give the increase. Even Paul said that about the natural thing of a farming. Same thing with the marriage, you know, that the Lord has to give conception. And he does when he wants, and he withholds what he wants, and I don't always have it figured out. Let's think about some scriptures that relate to that. Anybody remember what Psalm 127 verse 3 says? Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Ah, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. I mean, God gives them to you. If you have kids, God gave them to you. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. Happy is the man that hath this quiver full of them. Quiver, it's picturing children as arrows. It's picturing the parents as one who's carrying the, uh, you know, what do you call the thing that they hold them in? Your quiver. I just said it. Your quiver and the arrows. And you have, and happy is the man that has this quiver full of them. God gives that. What does it say? In Job 1.21, Job said, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what it says in Genesis? Uh, it says in Genesis 30, verse 2. <laughs> Genesis 30, verse 1 and 2. Rachel's like, ah, I can't have kids. Her sister's married. This is a bad scenario. Jacob's got two wives. Their sister's bad scenario. Anyways, Jacob's having a lot of kids by Leah. Rachel's going to have kids. She's having She's like, give me children or I die. She says that to, to Jacob. Give me kids or I'm going to die. Like, and he, she's just frustrated. It's like, it's your fault. Your fault. You know, and he's like, am I God? Am I God? That's what he says. Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? Who, who hath withheld from thee from childbearing? Basically what he says. He's like, basically, God can say yes or no to this deal. That's what it says. I like what it says in, um, even back with Isaac. Remember Isaac and Rebecca? I mean, who's Isaac's daddy? Who's Isaac's daddy? Who is it, Shamo? Abraham. What was God saying to Abraham that's so special about Abraham? What did God say to Abraham? Abraham, 
I'm going to bless you, give you this land, and your descendants are going to be like what? The stars. It can't be numbered in the sand of the sea. You're going to have a lot, a lot of kids and grandkids, or at least the grandkids, the descendants. And so he has the... Well, he did have several other kids, but through, through, the, uh, through Sarah was where the covenant was going to fall through, go through, not through the other ones. Hagar, the other Keturah, I think it was. Through Sarah. And so Sarah, you know, doesn't have a kid, doesn't have a kid. Finally, she has a kid, old age. What's her kid's name? What's her son's name? Shamel. Isaac. What does Isaac mean? What is it? He's like the smartest kid in class. Huh? <laughs> Laughter. That makes sense, right? I mean, you're like 90 or whatever they were, real old. And did you hear Sarah's having a kid? <laughs> what? <laughs> of course, she laughed too out of la- lack of faith, but it's like, why are you serious? Yeah, so Isaac's born, and it's like, ha, 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 look at that. She's got gray hairs and still got a baby, you know, and all that. And so she has a baby, Isaac. And, and so Isaac, so, so, all right, Isaac, yeah, maybe they're thinking now Isaac's going to have a lot of kids. Yeah, it's going to be great. And Isaac marries Rebecca, and there's like, there's no kids. So the Bible says that the Lord, that Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, Rebekah, because his wife, Rebekah, was barren. So Isaac entreated the Lord, and the Lord was entreated of him. And so, so Rebekah uh, conceived, and then it's like, whoa, I got twins in here. The point is that Isaac entreated the Lord, can you please let her be pregnant? And he gave the green light there, of course. When in Genesis 33, verse 5, Jacob and Esau, <laughs> the two brothers, twins, but really opposites. Um, they each started living separate lives. Jacob's family is huge. Uh, Esau apparently had a fairly large family, and they are coming to meet each other. And Jacob was nervous, man. Guy's sweating bullets about meeting his red-headed, short-tempered brother, you know. And uh, so he, when he finally meets Esau, and... Um, it was a pleasant meeting. Um, Esau says, who are all these? Who are all these people and stuff? And what does Jacob say? You may remember? These are the children which God hath graciously given thy servant. That's how, he, that's how he identified his family and his kids. These are the children which God hath graciously given thy servant. You know what he didn't say? These are all the pests I brought along with me. Well. They keep saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we going to see Oka Esau? <laughs> no, he didn't say that, you know. He said, these are the children which God hath graciously given thy servant. I'm trying to show you some scriptures where it shows the value of when God gives you a child, he gave you a child. He gave you a child. He's like, well, I had a child out of wedlock. He still allowed it to happen. It's not the child's fault. Love him or her and bring her up. The grace of becoming a parent. So with us, God will give conception or not. Now I notice, you know, we got a couple of us larger families in our church and everything. But just think about that. The Lord gave conception. Um, each of our, I mean, just talk about how my wife and I look at our kids. Um, you know, we didn't plan to have nine. Did you plan to have nine, Rusty? One to twelve, and yeah, all right. Well, there's some grandkids kicking there, and yeah, that's right. So, blessed with nine, yeah, that's right. So, so my wife and I, you know, there's times where it's gotten hard or whatever, and it's and, and we're just like, 
that's what God gave us nine, you know. Even there was times where we naturally tried to prevent, God gave us some more. And, uh, and sometimes my wife would say, well, which of the ones would I take back? Yeah. I can't take, and that, there's no sarcasm there, you know. You know, you're tempted to say something. There's not. I can't, I'm not going to take any of them back. Well, how would you take them back anyways? But, you know, who could I live without is what she's saying. It was like they were always meant to be, is what she says, you know. And, uh, of course, the biggest surprise with that was that last little rascal. That was a huge surprise, you know. Um, but each of them has a flavor, adds a new flavor, and they're good, good flavors for the family, you know. Keep adding and add a new, new flavor to the family. God gave conception. Think about that now, God. The Lord gave conception. Now, think about this. We're all pro-lifers in here, but think about this. Think about this. When a person's aborting, what are they doing? What? It was like, well, they're killing a child. But Yeah, but think about it this way. God just let that little dude or little girl get get made. And you're destroying the little project in God's workshop. Ooh. You know, what if somebody went to Rusty's shop and started going in there and you'd have to get a torch to really hurt things around there. But uh, start cutting up things and throwing things around and bashing things in and destroying stuff in Rusty's workshop. Rusty would be like, what are you doing? That's offensive. The womb is God's workshop. And when somebody wants to go in there and start destroying what's in God's workshop, that's offensive because God gave conception. And so there's a blessing of becoming a parent. Whether, again, you want to be married, then become a parent. But even if you're not, you would value the life that God gives. It's also a blessing even in ministry efforts. God's the one that gives conception. God's the one that gives blessing. We sow, weep water, and God gives the increase. So we're going to wrap it up right here. There's two more points. I'll just say them again. You're going to see a blessing here of Grandma Naomi. This is really cool. I saw some really cool stuff as I was studying this last time. And then we're going to notice the grace of how God can just turn a family around when they decide to have faith. Some of us, we're like, well, my families have always been like this. We've always had this alcoholism. Or we've always been this religion. We've ah, So what? If you decide to say, I'm going to come under new authority. I'm going to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Wow. You get a new family tree. And that's what you see in, in some of this book here, and then we'll look at next time. A couple quick things, and we'll close. Ruth was experiencing new life. How is it that Ruth was able to experience new life? She could not have new life until she had Boaz. We really can't have new life or a right life until we have the Lord as our Savior and until we walk with the Lord, until we have our Boaz. And then one other thought is this. Think about this. Let's go back to these other things. Think about this. How did, the, how did the book start out? started out with three funerals. It ends with a marriage, and a baby, and happy parents, and happy grandma. Now think about this. Naomi was, when she came back into Jerusalem, or pardon me, into Bethlehem, she was not spiritual. It didn't seem like it. She's just like, God's mean to me. And isn't it, and then what happens? God didn't go like, yeah, that's right. You deserve it. You, you know, nag. You're being whatever. God did not do that. Think about this. 
God still, this is the one simple thought. I thought, this is good. God still cared for Naomi, even when she was bitter at him. Isn't that good? God still cared about Naomi, even when she was bitter at him. You ever get like that? I'm bitter. Hey, you might get bitter at God or something in life that you want to say, God, you. <laughs> Not that it, we should continue to be better, but isn't it a blessing? Doesn't it encourage your heart to know that God will still care for you even in moments that you're bitter toward him? God still cared for her. <laughs> even beyond that, he, he gave her grace and given her family tree reconnected again and restarted again and a grandson at the end she's all happy about. That's a blessing.